0: This is episode 55 of Between Two Blue Devils. Now it's hard to believe we are 55 episodes in. In this episode, I sit down with Mr. Ken Subek. His story is intriguing. He graduated from Wash Jesuit High School and then he attended Kent State University. After graduation from KSU, Mr. Subek landed a job with, drumroll please, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. You heard that correctly, the FBI. Ken was a member of the special photo unit located right in the heart of Washington, D.C. You can only imagine how excited I was as a history teacher years ago when I found out Ken had worked for the FBI. After hearing some of his stories, I invited him into my psychology class on a regular basis to talk about how the FBI uses psychology to solve cases. Every student walked out amazed that Mr. Subek had worked for the FBI, that he had helped solve some major cases, and that he eventually became a teacher. Yep, he left the FBI to become a teacher. During our conversation, he talks about the decision he made to change careers and his motivation behind the decision. Now, Ken currently serves as And this is kind of a long title. He is the Transition Occupational Work, Study, Career, and Technical Education Coordinator for the 6th District Educational Compact. And he's housed right in Talmadge High School. Ken and his wife Leah are also passionate advocates for bringing awareness to the lack of accessibility services for deaf and blind people and others with disabilities. He and his wife began a non-profit organization called NEO Access, where they invest significant resources into raising awareness. The two of them even produced a documentary released not long ago after seven years of production. Check out the trailer in the show notes. Ken is an amazing human who loves our students and who courageously advocates for students with needs. Enjoy this episode and be sure to share it out. Now, introducing to you, Mr. Subek. back, listeners, to another episode of Between Two Blue Devils. And I am sitting here with a very good friend of mine. Uh, The gentleman that I'll be interviewing today is someone who I deeply respect not only as an educator, but also as a man and a person who, he just simply inspires me because of all that he seeks to do and to kind of give back to this world. And I was first introduced to my guest um, many years ago when I found out some of his story that he'll be sharing with you and then I asked if he would be willing to talk in my psychology class and he said yes and he jumped in and then from that point on every year, every semester, I had him come in and he would share his life experiences with my students and every single student walked out of every class he shared his story in mesmerized by the life that he has lived. So. I'm excited to bring his story to you, Mr. Subek. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I don't know if I'm worth the, the build up, but thank you very much. I I looked at the, some of the dates, and you and I did uh, either for psychology or history. It was 12 years. Has
0: it been 12 years?
1: Yeah. It, it, over a course of 12 years, yeah. we we actually combined uh, things that I had done with your class, and uh, I looked forward to it. To be honest with you.
0: Well, I always look forward to it as well because one of the one of the things, and I think our listeners will understand this when we start getting into your story, um, it's there's history all around us. You never know, first of all, what the person walking next to you, what their story is, what their life experience is, nor do you know what their role in history has been. Right. right. You know, and so as as a want to be historian and a want to be psychologist, right, teaching those classes, and then you know. The, Hearing about your experiences and then having you share them—it just brought so much alive in the classroom. And the kids were always just so excited when you would share your story.
1: Well, thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. So I don't even know where to begin. There's there's actually three big areas that I, that I want to talk to you about um, because all three of them are fascinating. But let let's let's start at the very beginning. All right. I want to talk about who you were and how you got into your first profession. Okay. Then I want to talk about how you got into your second profession, and then I, I'm super excited to hear about what you and your wife are extremely passionate about right now. Okay, So um, let's begin. Where where are
1: you from? Uh, Cowboy Falls, okay. born and raised, um, have a um, Bachelor of Science in Photo Illustration with a minor in Cinematography. And after I graduated from Kent State, there really weren't any positions that were available for employment. I spent some time looking and not without, with really not a lot of success. And I got told by more than a few people that if you wanted to get into photography or cinematography, they're gonna hire the people that have experience, not somebody who has a degree. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to suggest that uh, the degree was a hindrance because in fact it wasn't. Uh, It actually helped me out later on. I had a relative, a sister who lived in Maryland at the time after I graduated and um, I went to visit her and I worked at a store that sold cameras and uh, supplies things like that Hmm. and one of the part-time workers I was full-time one of the part-time workers said you know this is my part-time job I work at the Department of Justice there's an opening for a photographer
2: Hmm.
1: and that was my degree so I applied didn't hear anything for a while because it's it's the juggernaut of the, the government then I got interviewed several times had to fill out several questionnaires and I was hired at the I thought it was the Department of Justice which it was but I didn't know it was the FBI hmm. and so I started in the um, photo processing department which just uh, I was a director's office photographer so when the director of the FBI would meet with people from throughout the nation who were visiting taking a tour of Washington DC whether it be a congressman a senator a movie star whatever i was put on call and i waited outside in the hallway and then they would say send in the photographer and i would walk in take a picture they would shake hands and that i may wait there for 2 hours to take two pictures and go back down go back down to where i came from wow uh, in time because they knew i had a degree in photography uh, I was promoted to the uh, forensic division, and I was one of five photographers that did scientific, technical, forensic photography mm. for the FBI at that time.
0: Wow! So, so how long did you serve in the FBI? About ten years. About ten years, and so, um, man, it's just it's just fascinating to think about. You know, through a connection, you know, you were able to uh, land this job. And you know, whenever anybody talks about the FBI, there's just you know, there's this aura about working for the FBI that's just mysterious and um, intriguing. Uh, were you nervous at all when you got hired, or I mean, what were you thinking well, when you exa- found out?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what you think of. The building was on 10th and Pennsylvania Avenue, so I could clearly see the Capitol and the White House. And uh, when we would go to lunch. Uh, we'd walk out to the mall and here I am, uh, you know, this guy from Coggle Falls, Ohio sitting in the mall every day watching, you know, there goes congressman or here comes somebody else mm-hmm. So, and it was a little intimidating to think it's the FBI and it, when I got promoted to the special photographic unit that's when I got my top uh, secret security clearance mm-hmm. so I could work on things that um, were not available to other. You know individuals, and so it's a big machine. Uh, you know it's eleven stories. That uh, at the time it was the building on Tenth and Pennsylvania, which is eleven stories in the front and seven in the back. They used to call it the Seven Eleven. Oh, okay. And we were on the fifth floor in the science division, and so it was a rotating basis. A case would come in, and everybody knew if it came from Ohio that assign it to me, mm-hmm. and and so it was a random thing over time. You just worked on cases. Uh, the thing about forensic photography, you can cause no damage. You can do no experimentation. Everything is latent, so it's protected. You have to wear gloves. And, mm-hmm. and so, what you want to do is photographically prove something. Mm. Uh, and it's like working on a big puzzle. And that's that was the true enjoyment of it. You know that uh, I think I shared in your class one of the stories of a case came in from Warren. Uh, and they said, uh, this car hit a tree. How fast was it going? Mm. And all I had was, it took me a while to figure out all the pieces and parts to make a determination.
0: Mm. Well, I think it's, you know, I do remember that story. And the the <clears throat> procedure that you went through to figure out how fast it was going and who was behind the wheel and what the motivation was. I mean, it's, it, it's actually a fascinating story. Do you mind sharing a little bit about uh, it?
1: No, no. It was, um, it was... Uh, unknown he it was a known hitman he had two individuals in the back seat it was a large general general motors car i don't remember which model uh, and we had contacts throughout the country i called general motors and said you know what can you tell me about this car because all i have is the dashboard i have a dashboard a pair of leather shoes a brake pedal and an accelerator pedal and the back light assembly from the vehicle, and they want to know how fast he was going, because they're pretty darn sure this was a murder. Mm. And um, when I called uh, General Motors, they said, none of the glass in the dashboard is sealed. It's full of dust. And that needle illuminates under, more than likely, ultraviolet. And when there's an impact, um, it will strike the plastic on the inside, and you should be able to see something more than likely. So I lit the laboratory. I closed, sealed it off, and I flooded it with ultraviolet and put on my goggles, and I don't know where it was, but I could see a mark in space. A green line appeared on the back of the plastic on the speedometer. Hmm. So I matched that. I blew that up to 40 inches by 60 inches and then made a slide in color, 40 by 60, to fit over top of it. And at 90 miles an hour the green line appeared okay and it matched so i proved how fast he was going then there were no imprints on his leather shoes um but there was an imprint from the accelerator so he was accelerating when he hit the tree and the rear brake light uh, when a brake light explodes the little pieces of glass dust bond to elements. And Mm. I had worked on several cases like that. Well, there was nothing. He never hit the brakes. He hit a tree going 90 miles an hour because later on they found his mouth guard out in the street (laughs) because he didn't want to lose his teeth. I had, my restriction was one week. I had to do that in one week Mm. in normal working situations. So um, cases like that, uh, you sort of it's like when you're it's not troubling it's actually in you know, you're thinking it's this is a puzzle mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure it out and so I'm just thinking through my mind what would happen what's going to transpire uh, during that time medical reports he had broken ribs he had a broken leg um, so he after he you have to share evidence and after he saw what the what I had done he pled guilty he, hmm. he just took the took the charge he didn't try to fight it so And there are a series of cases like that. Yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, one of the reasons I enjoyed having you come in and talk to the psychology class is because so many of my students want to get into forensics of some kind. Right. And uh, then there's also the psychological aspect of it. You would share about, you know, what it was like trying to put the pieces together to make sure a hitman is is brought to justice or some of the other stories where you're just talking about like the effects of bad decision making right but it's um it's it's amazing just all the science that you just talked about there's so much more to forensics than what people realize yeah Uh, the
1: difficult that's not difficult but i think the troubling part is to realize (laughs) that's what somebody did for a living yeah. and I cannot put my head there I cannot figure it out a lot of crimes of violence uh, are that way and it's like I, I, I don't understand it but you're absolutely right there was a case where uh, a little girl was involved and um, so your, your spirit your compassion actually fits in there and you think I'm going to solve this for you because she had been run over uh, waiting for a bus and when it all breaks down and you take all the pieces, it's just so awful yeah you want to make sure whoever that is is caught and stopped and you know your your small little part you played makes a difference hmm.
0: what would you say would be um, one of your biggest takeaways? I mean that's pretty powerful what you just talked about right there, but as an FBI agent, what's one thing that you you think about often as when you reflect back on your time serving as an FBI agent,
1: um, well, actually, I was support. I had a top secret clearance, but I was not agent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway is you can't <laughs> you can't hide. You know, when, uh, you can't get away with stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that a lot of things are solved, or a lot of things are are uh, people are caught. And I, I think over the, over that 10 years, there was a case I would work on one year, and five years later, it's back because somebody just sort of, they went a little bit crazy, and it, mm. it bothered them. The thing that's scary is there are people out there that those kind of things don't bother them. Yeah. Uh, and that's a whole different classification. But mm-hmm. the takeaway is um, there are people spending a whole lot of time trying to figure out how to get over... On a, on a situation when in fact all they have to do is the right thing and none of that is necessary mm. but I don't know what you know that's that fits in with your psychology class it's like why did you go to all this trouble to set all this stuff up was the money worth it and for some people I guess it is mm. I, you know, I, I don't understand that but I think they've obviously got a thought processing problem mm-hmm. you, you, you can't be sane and, and I, in my opinion And do the things that some of the people
0: do. Yeah, it is disturbing when you when you look back at, um, like when I look at some of the stories that you've shared, and then you see some of the things that are in the news, and then you see uh, that just the effort that people go to to harm others. Correct. It just
1: doesn't make sense.
0: It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Do you um do you have a particular story that you you like the most, or like an experience that you had that, or
1: well, that you key, like to share? The the keynote story, I think that you and I, that we shared together what historically, was John demoniak Yeah, and John in the nineteen mid to late nineteen eighties, when the Soviet Union wanted, uh, literally they they were going through Glasnost and Perestroika, uh, through Gorbachev, and they also wanted money and, and, and food because <laughs> uh, this The communist system wasn't quite working and so they released to the United States a bunch of information And what some of the information they released Was information about a man who lived in Seven Hills, Ohio just south of 480 um, and his name was John Demaniak and They had information on him that the Russians actually did and they were holding it and they said, would, would like to release this to you. And so I had never seen a KGB agents in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was called on a Saturday afternoon to come down to FBI headquarters. And there were 15 FBI agents and five uh, KGB agents. And they stood there and gave me the documentation and said, you got four hours. Mm-hmm. And that, you mentioned, does that make, that's when you think, Oh my gosh, this is going to be national. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hope I don't screw this up. Wow. You know? And so you think really, really quick. Yeah. And you think puzzle. It's like, well, what do I have here? And it, it luckily I didn't have to do a lot of forensic work. It was things like, here's an ID card. So I photographed it. And I photographed it several different ways. Ultraviolet, infrared, uh, normal room lighting. Um... Then there are a bunch of in, uh, cards and signatures. I had his check cashing card from Seven Hills. I think it was a Safeway store. Then I had a signature from an ID card from 1942. And so it just, whatever they gave me, I photographed and checked really quick because everything I did was manual. We had no processors. Mm. Uh, chain of Commandment, you're the only one that ever touches it. It can't go to another person. So if I shot color film, I developed that color film. I printed that color film. And so about four hours later, uh, I don't know, I'm sure they, uh, the FBI agents quizzed and had a good time with the KGB agents trying to f- figure out what they could. Hmm. I gave uh, the information back and then proceeded to create uh, sort of a case okay. uh, in point. That's, that's what I did, and um, it was pretty fascinating, and um, it then went to... Uh, analytical people that could look at signatures and say, no, the signature on the 1942 card matches the Safeway checking account. And then they did um, forensic skull research on the photograph of, you know, the main thing that got John Dominick in trouble is they lied. Um, He he said he was uh, not, he was not in the, uh, uh, at a prison camp in Sobibor which I think is in Poland so a death camp that he was actually somewhere else and he was a prisoner of war and it all unraveled with the research and data and mm-hmm. everything else so um, he passed away in uh, on appeal uh, he was first prosecuted by the Israelis so everything I had done went to the Israeli court but on a technicality he was released mm-hmm. and then the German court which has been very studious and trying to on, on, you know, tame some of the wounds of World War II, uh, took all the information, and it was a period of almost uh, eight or nine years before somebody said, "Whoever worked on this was right. The, these things are." So he was. He passed away in uh, just of ill health in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was just happy he was never coming back home. You know, mm-hmm. Myself,
0: that had to have been a little bit surreal when, because I mean, I remember watching him. Uh, when he was arrested right and they wheeled him out on his gurney because he was too sick to walk right correct and so they I remember watching that and here it was the evidence that you took pictures of the case that you'd put together uh, as FBI support that was used to bring this man to justice
1: that's true there is a documentary that they have done And if you ever see the ID card and the film and the other stuff, that's mine. But I don't own it, obviously. Whatever you do gets turned over to the government and they own that. And
0: uh, And that's the picture you took. That's the picture I took. That that is so incredibly cool. That's true. I mean, that's locked in history forever. Because, I mean, that's a conversation. I know it's really super significant in Northeast Ohio, right? But then... But it's international. His name comes up. That case comes up. I mean, it is—it's the stuff of history books now.
1: Right. Well, as a, as a, I was talking to one of the social studies teachers here who had uh, viewed the documentary, and I said, "I'm biased in a way because you know they were the pictures and images you're seeing are the ones I did. I thought the documentary was skewing it a little. They were saying the FBI was was going after him. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah." Uh, a death camp guard. They're mm-hmm. going, they're going after him, um, and then I linked that to in your psychology class. I linked that to all the industries that were associated with Nazism. Mm-hmm. It's like we still have a Volkswagen. We still have you know the f- people that make bare aspirin. Their headquarters in Pittsburgh. Um, they made the gas Zyklon like mm-hmm. B, which killed people in in prison camps. That's a that's a discussion to have. I think.
0: Were you the one who recommended the book about Bayer um, years ago? I read a book that talked about that whole period of history, and um,
1: I just um, I'm uh, always been fascinated by Ellie Wiesel's book Night. Yeah, and Ellie Wiesel was was asked to go to Bayer headquarters in Pittsburgh because at the time he was living he was an older gentleman mm-hmm. and he was living in uh, New York City. And the CEO of Bayer, because during the war, they were called Hearst Selenese. They had a different name. And they did all kind of things for the Nazi war machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elie Wiesel, who wrote Knight and several other books, refused. He said, I'm not going to hear a man apologize. <clears throat> In the, it would have been the 20th century. We hadn't crossed over into the 21st yet. And he had to be convinced by other people. Uh, he was a very, very humble man, very quiet, and uh, not a lot of commentary. But it's like when he spoke, he he just his main commentary was, you know, the, the Germans had so much technology, so many educated people, so many people that knew so many things, yet they turned a blind eye to this kind of caustic destruction. Mm-hmm. How how did how did you do that? You know, and he could never make sense with that, and it conflicted with his faith as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So. so you uh, you have recommended some very very good books to me, written by Holocaust survivors. Um, did your uh, desire to learn more about uh, kind of like the survivor mentality and, you know, how the, the resiliency, I mean, because of your FBI work or is it, yeah, have I you believe always been? So.
1: Oh. I believe so. I believe that um, it's the oppressed. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of oppression. And later on when we talk about uh, the project my wife and I are involved in, I, I think it's it's not a victim's mentality. It's oppression. It's like while we're and this is going to sound odd and i don't want to offend anybody i really don't but when there's a red carpet event and, and everybody talks about what this girl looked like and how she rocked this dress and this and that while they're talking about that nobody's talking about the people who are starving in the world who are getting rocketed in the ukraine or getting starved in in africa mm. and it just seems to me we don't really want to talk about that and I'd, I'd like to see a little bit less about the stars and the famous people, and maybe a little bit more of the folks who are having really awful lives. And I think you're right. I think it relates to Ellie Wiesel's book. It relates to uh, the other Westmore, Moore. West, you know, who's the current Westmore is the current governor of Maryland. He had a fantastic book, and I, you and I had spoken about that before. And um, just Folks that said, "No, nah, I I need to say something about oppression. Mm-hmm. I really do," and so that led my wife and I. I mean, we had this thought for many years, but it led us to our project.
0: Wow. You know? I um, I don't want to skip over the part of when you become a teacher, but I think this is like a That's a funny. good point to kind of transition <laughs> into into what your your passion project is. And I was um, you know, I was listening to a podcast yesterday uh, by a gentleman named. oh, Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> Time to go. S-
0: still in school. Yep, yep. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> but, uh, but it's by a guy named Todd Durkin. It's called the uh, Increase Your No, not Increase. That's another podcast. But Todd Durkin Impact Show, and he had a guest on there named Rory uh, Barden, and the two of them were talking about figuring out what it is that you like, like your purpose. You know, uh, the the ultimate premise was you know, your brand ability and not necessarily a brand like between two blue devils, but you know, when they, when your name is mentioned, who are you? What do you represent? What is your brand? Right. And in the midst of that, there was a point about how you need to pour your energy, your time, your passion into something where the number one objective is to serve others. If you really want to have an impact, leave a legacy, and really have true influence, find something that you can do to serve others. And then for lack of a better word, the success then comes with it, right? And so as I've kind of heard a little bit about your journey, that's really what you and your wife are doing. You've jumped in head first into an area where you are serving others and you're trying to talk about an issue that needs to be talked about. So why don't you share with us a little bit about that?
1: Well, my uh, my wife has her PhD in curriculum studies, specifically to, um, she's also a certified interpreter for the deaf. She taught at Kent State. She actually taught at Akron U as well for some time. And for many years, we had worked back and forth with the concept of what don't people know about individuals with disabilities. Um, and I'm guilty as the next person. I make the assumption that needs are being met and there's, there's enough funding and there are enough situations where, I think that's just human nature. Um, my wife, very early in her career, was the assistant director at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. I was at the FBI, she was at Gallaudet University. She was an assistant director for deafblind services. Her boss was deafblind. And she spent many years with him. To this day, he's living in Columbus. He's moved. He's 81, and we're still friends. Mm. You know, and, and so as we talked about that, one day she was interpreting for a deafblind woman on Kent State's campus, and she told us she had an experience that we recreated for a documentary. And that is it reminds me of, of – um, a film where she is actually at Bowman Hall. I don't know if anyone knows Bowman Hall, but here's a deafblind woman getting her bachelor's degree and taking some classes at Bowman. And she's. the film does a great job of of recreating it. She tells a pretty good story about it. Uh, She's taken to the, you know, touch is everything to a deafblind person, Mm -hmm. touch. And your, she says, my 10 fingers are my 10 eyes because I cannot hear and see. And I'm depending on people to get me to the right door, the right place. You know, she was travel trained. That just means she knew how to wait for the right bus and get to the right location. And it was just a total nightmare. Hmm. She was left waiting and the bus driver said, well, you didn't come out. And her comment back later on when, when they were talking about it she said, how would I know you were there? I'm deafblind. You have to come in and find me. Hmm. Then they, they put her at the wrong door, at the wrong building and it just goes on and on. The, the part that was really sad, it, it reminds me of the film Elephant Man, if you remember that, where the man with the developmental disability physical is standing in the metro station in London screaming, I'm not an animal, I'm a human being.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, she is at Bowman realizing I am hopelessly lost. Saying, can someone help me? And it got to the point where she sort of had to cower in a corner because most people don't want to get involved. I get Mm -hmm. it. It's scary. It's a little spooky. Why is this woman saying, can somebody help me? Finally, somebody came over and she said, you can print. Because she can actually, she didn't lose her speech or hearing till she was in middle school. Hmm. So if, if we had her, she could, you know, in the film, she speaks. You know, you can understand her. So she explained to somebody, right in my hand, am I in Bowman? And they put N-O, and then she's sort of like, where am I? Wow. Satterfield, which is the next building. And it goes on and on. Well, she didn't know what to do. And they called over to Kent um, over Accessibility Services. Got my wife, because my wife knew of Angie is her name. She drove over as quick as she could and sort of in a cool way saved the day. It's like, I got you. Mm -hmm. I'll get you out of this Mm. situation. And later on, we'll take care of it. But it's the fact that there are disability services that are supposed to be in place to help that situation from occurring. And they, they just weren't and didn't. And it just became one of a series of events that, she talks about in the documentary. And what we're trying to do is say, here are deaf-blind people in the world that you live in, right here in Northeast Ohio, uh, one man told a story about he was denied the right to vote. Hmm. He said, well, we, you know, here, you can listen to this cassette. Are you misunderstanding me? I can't hear or see. I need a way to vote. Well, you're gonna have to tell who you want to vote for to somebody else. Hmm. So what we're trying to do is just say we ex- we established a nonprofit agency, and if anything can happen from the documentary um, maybe we can uh, it it maybe it can be a fine educational piece we're not really sure how it'll end up so it took seven years okay. uh, uh, to, to, to complete so
0: so the documentary was released when
1: just um uh, this year this year yeah. And so far, the last showing we had, well, we are very, very fortunate uh, because the doctor at the Cleveland Clinic who worked with her to determine what syndrome she had two weeks ago showed it at the Cleveland Clinic hmm. to pre-service doctors and educators. So we're, in, we're talking to them saying, any way you wanna use this, go ahead and use it because he, he's a very uh, smart man. He, he he's, he's, his interest is saying, if you're going to be a doctor, you better be able to treat anybody who walks in that door, mm-hmm. and you better see them as a person, and not as oh boy, call community services, take care of this. You know, because the honest truth is, there are no death blind services in the state of Ohio. Yeah, and you think what? Well, there are services, but there's a limit to them, and you know you have to make all kind of arrangements. And, so it's not really clear cut, and that includes people who are both uh, deaf, blind, or deaf-blind. Mm-hmm. So it's what my wife has done for many, many years, and I've gone around, been fortunate enough to go along for the ride. Right. I get myself in trouble very quick when I try to sign. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: so, you know, it's interesting. Earlier today, I had a conversation with, um, with a friend in my office, and we were talking about just the phenomena of you just don't know what you don't know right? You don't know what you don't know. And you kind of alluded to that when you talked about how so many of us, we do have these assumptions that, that things are in place, that needs are being met, and sure. we don't have an awareness of it. What would you say, like for me, I, I'm, I'm very ignorant right now in, in regards to what, what we ha- even have available here at school or, at, you know, sure. here for our, our deafblind population. What what advice would you give to our listeners and to me to how how do we begin to kind of expose ourselves and make a difference in this area?
1: Well, I think first of all, there's there shouldn't be no guilt associated with it because I guarantee you there are things that I don't know that I probably should know. I should be more aware of. And I don't think there's any I, I think there are so many, there's the alphabet soup of services. And mm-hmm. by that I mean O O D B V R D D, you know, all the agencies that use uh, letters and and acronyms for the services they offer. Unfortunately, they oftentimes are restricted by a budget or by funding. Um, And if you notice, there are no deaf individuals uh, uh, at the high school, Mm -hmm. um, and there are no deaf individuals in the 6th District Compact. I, I travel in my job capacity at several schools. Now, Akron City Schools, they have a whole collection of, they're called Educational Deaf Interpreters. And so they would actually be in place. We did have a young man here several years ago, and he had an interpreter with him, go mm-hmm. with him to each class. Made a world of difference. Um, but there are too many stories of somebody showing up uh, and Angie tells him in the documentary she shows up to a doctor's office, and says, "Where you know I need an interpreter. I am deafblind. First of all, she had to get there, so she has to arrange. I get it. She has to arrange for somebody to get her to the appointment. But if she gets the appointment, uh, and there's no one there who can interpret, the appointment's over. You mm-hmm. know she she can talk to a doctor and say." this hurts or I'm wondering about that or whatever. Uh, and very few, I mean, it's a federal mandate that if someone comes to you and they need uh, accommodations, you have to provide it. But you would be surprised in the 21st century how many doctors say, well, we're not paying for that. Hmm. And that just exists. And it, it's, you can't fault anyone, but um, legislation just Literally, this this podcast is at a right time. Uh, legislation was passed this week in Columbus that mandates a uh, services be provided for deafblind people uh, when they need it uh, for interaction in the community. Now, that doesn't mean when you go out to lunch. Or, I mean, but if you were involved in a social service activity or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, mm-hmm. you qualify for services. And that would be, that's called a SSP, a support services provider. And they have to know how to sign. Wow.
0: So what, um, what has been your, like, your personal takeaway from your involvement? You know, working alongside of your wife. I mean, how have you grown as a person?
1: Um, I mean, it sounds, you know, I have, trust me, I have my faults and I have my shortcomings. and I'll say it to anybody. I think one of the things that's created in me is uh, we have we off, on an infrequent basis but on recently a more regular basis we go to the Deaf Outreach Church which is off Arlington Road outside mm. of Akron and it's for and by deaf people and there are a smattering, there's about 4 or 5 deaf blind people that go there too mm. and I it, it's You know, I realize that every once in a while, like most people, I get depressed or I get down or I get frustrated. (laughs) I have no right to be depressed or down. I don't. I don't have a challenging life. I can hear and see. I have mobility. Uh, Angie, who's part of that, she's now lost her ability to walk. So now she's in a wheelchair and she can't hear or see. Hmm. Um, So I look at that and say, I have, you know, I still groan and complain and i ask god for forgiveness it's like excuse me (laughs) you know i don't have a right to complain i don't have a right to be frustrated but there are people that have extremely challenging lives Mm -hmm. and there are some that in despite their their disability um like the the man who's now in columbus that i've known since i was a very young man in washington dc he just keeps going. It's mm-hmm. like he was actually part of the legislation in Columbus. Wow. You know, so fascinating man. Tells we have some great stories over time, and we've had some great adventures with him. And uh, it's it's emotional when we meet. You know. Wow.
0: So, how old is Angie?
1: Uh, I think Angie is in her uh, late forties now. She has a son. Who lives with her and she gets assistance that doesn't cover everything mm-hmm. that she you know doesn't cover all food doesn't cover because you and I think you know I'd like to get a new pair of slacks or I'd like to do this or that well luckily she has a dad and a brother who helps support her
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but her son uh, well actually I, I should rephrase that her son now identifies as a, as a female so he's transgender But he lives with her, which is good, so she's not alone. Yeah, but she's pretty independent. But most of her interactions take place on a computer. Okay, you know, and it's uh, it's sort of fascinating to watch her. She can navigate that. Pretty, I don't want to say it's amazing, because she's quick to correct anybody that uses that word. It's like when I go to the store and I shop, I'm not amazing. Don't you shop at the store? (laughs) Does anybody say, "Hey Ken, you're amazing. You're shopping." It's mm-hmm. like yeah you're right, you're right that that's that's a that's the uh, inspirational thing that you shouldn't be doing yeah. you know?
0: well her her resiliency is inspiring I mean when you think about it, she's deaf and then blind and then immobile now
1: correct she has lost she used to be a lot more mobile, but she um she now pretty much when she goes anywhere she's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. so the s s p has dual duty not only are you the tactile interpreter, so um Tactile interpreting is both hand-to-hand, and it's also, um, you know, somebody's laughing, you tap somebody's shoulder, and they know that's a cue. They say, okay. you know, so she was at, you know, we made sure that she was at the Cleveland Clinic showing because she has to answer certain questions. Mm-hmm. And things, you know, so.
0: so what's the next step for the, uh, the organization?
1: Well, what we're hoping to do is there's another organization we're talking to, which is... Um, Oh, my gosh. And just as you asked me, it went right in one ear and out the other. But it's an organization that promotes uh, film about disability. OK. Like a disability awareness foundation. So we're going to give first dibs to the Cleveland Clinic and say, it's yours. Mm -hmm. You know, just just, you know, my wife has actually created a curriculum to encourage pre-service doctors these are the things you need to be aware of Hmm. we're just waiting to hear back Mm -hmm. if that doesn't go somewhere then uh, we will um, uh, go with the other agency that that uh, it's sort of a social service agency that deals with films and documentaries what scares people a little bit uh, it's a 90-minute documentary Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's a big chunk Mm -hmm. you know for folks to take, take in and I've told the Cleveland Clinic you can use pieces and parts, whatever. I'll make it available because it's more important. We are going to have a showing at uh, Wilson School. And the Wilson School is on the east side of Cleveland, and they have a whole wing uh, that's just for uh, deaf children and deafblind children. Hmm. And Actually, I filmed several of them, and they're about to graduate, so I, I want them to see it before they leave that school. The sad part is when they leave Wilson School – they have to go back to the Cleveland school system with minimal supports and services. Oh man. It's sort of, you know, it's sort of uh, depressing, but yeah. it's a reality. So if we can just get this out and make, make some people aware that that's what we're hoping for. You
0: know? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly the the, the dream, right? I mean, this, Correct. This, this, this documentary gets out there and your wife and Angie and you continue kind of crusading and it, you know, brings awareness, and then Cleveland Public Schools starts to offer, you know, support for Correct. kids. Correct. And, who... and
1: if we can, uh, it gets pretty crazy because my wife is actually the editor for a book on the 81. Uh, Art Rohrig is his name. He's in Columbus. He wants her to edit the book of his life. Hmm. And so she's in stages of that. And we have the nonprofit, and he said, make it available on your nonprofit site. Oh, wow. So if that's the case, any monies we do accrue will go into uh, public awareness or anything like that.
0: Wow. So we'll
1: wow. see. We'll see how that works out.
0: Well, you know what? I'll be sure in the show notes, you know, we'll we'll connect um, and we'll link, you know, your your organization, oh, the video, sure. all of that in there so that, you know, maybe somebody listening here, hopefully somebody listening will want to kind of jump in and start Helping or or at least talking, you know, beginning the conversation.
1: That would be that would be fine because um, what we're not right at the stage yet of doing, and a lot of folks at the Cleveland Clinic showing said, well, "Why don't you put it online?" Well, then, and this sounds uh, self centered, but it's like I don't want to release it. I don't want it to just go out there without some control over mm-hmm. where it's going and who's using it. I think it's to be honest with you, there are two areas that I would like to pursue further, and that is education-wise. This mm-hmm. nation is there's a lot of interpreter training programs throughout this country, both on the collegiate level and other other levels. We just have to get that information out. We simply don't have the money because this film was, I don't want to say how much we spent, but we spent seven years of money and it's like whoa I I don't want to hire a public relations firm I I don't have the funds for it but I think uh, I think if you keep plugging away eventually and uh, I'm going to be honest with her I'm hoping that we can also it's a faith based Mm -hmm. There are plenty of organizations we're going to show the film at Deaf Outreach Church because we paid for captions Mm -hmm. to be inserted which you would expect uh, and it's uh, the film is also also audio described, so if there is someone who can, which is not too common, but if someone is blind, hmm. and they want to see the film, there's audio description track on it as well. So I've got several different versions of the film available.
0: Wow, that's fascinating.
1: It, it's it's a learning process, you know. Um,
0: well, so we've kind of uh, kind of bookend your life. We talked about you know your career in the FBI and now we're talking about kind of present day your passion project let's kind of jump back you know to the middle of the story and what drove you to becoming a teacher
1: um well there was a there was a specific teacher in high school he was the assistant football coach and he did something that I think everyone now in education is doing and he was you know because i was in high school when lincoln was president you know I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was quite a few years ago but he's differentiating but it's not so much for special ed it's while i'm talking about geometry he was a math teacher and there's one thing you want to keep me away from is sorry darcy uh is, <laughs> it's numbers i'm just you know and he actually made it so entertaining that i could understand geometry Hmm. And I can envision it. And while he's talking about that, he's talking about futures and careers and purpose and way ahead of his time, way Mm -hmm. ahead of the curve. And uh, honestly, my father was the first of his family of seven. That he was the only one of of the seven that had a college education. Hmm. And he actually taught uh, science at a high school in West Virginia and then found out that Ford Motor Company was recruiting, Goodyear Aerospace was recruiting. Otherwise, I'd be in West Virginia somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that influence, is just the way he approached things, and um, I actually, when I was, the FBI wanted me to teach at Quantico. There was an opening, mm-hmm. and I did for a while. I taught at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. I taught uh photography and forensic photography, but our goal my wife and I had a goal of always coming back home mm-hmm. and so I mean, I would have been set. it was a great position uh, and uh, but it just wasn't where I wanted to go at the mm-hmm. time, but I realized um depending on who you are, some people probably think i'm uh, I'm a mediocre. <laughs> At explaining things or whatever, but I I really like explaining things to people, Mm -hmm. especially students and especially high school. You know, I I think I would probably do damage to younger kids, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'd be a little afraid of them. But high school, I I like to, uh, I like the uh, approach. And and as a parent, we have two of our children have special needs, Mm -hmm. and that's pretty common in special education. It's like you have someone who who understands what that is like and, and so uh, that that led me into education okay so I went back to school and I was uh, when I got my master's in, in education with a endorsement in career-based interventions so that, that's you know that's sort of that what the role I'm doing now
0: yeah is, you know, so why don't you tell us what you I mean what's a, a day look like for you now
1: well right now uh, I do a, a there's, there's a series of uh, things that I actually do. Uh, there's a great program called CTE, which is uh, Career Technical Education. And Talmadge is part of a six-district compact. Mm-hmm. And it includes like Coggle Falls and Stowe and Hudson and Woodridge. and uh, The schools sort of combine. Uh, uh, it, it costs so much money to have so many different programs that a school like Kent Roosevelt that was designed to be a career technical education high school, uh, they have the bulk of, of it by far. Mm-hmm. And so if, if a student who's on an IEP wants to choose a different path, they don't want to take the path of enlistment in the military, they don't want to en, uh, enlist they want I'm sorry enroll in post-secondary education, they can get a leg up by saying rather than pay all that money, you can get certified in forestry, cosmetology, mm-hmm. any one of those programs. There are a number of programs available. My job right now is to all the Talmadge students that are in CTE, I keep track of them. Mm-hmm. Their progress, what they're doing, what they're not doing, and if they need a little nudging along the way, I do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I also uh, do transition, and I do that primarily uh, at, at Talmadge, and to a large degree, Calga Falls has been, as a high school, has been outstanding. I. I'm beyond 46 students that I give transition services to. Wow. What do you want to do next? What you know? I tend to take a very pragmatic approach gently. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know you want to, if I had a nickel for every guy that wants to be a game designer, <laughs> yeah. I'd be rich. And so I gently talk them down and say, do you know what coding is? Coding is a very sophisticated process to where you better be a, an IT specialist and you're going to have to go to school for it do you really want to be a game designer or do you just like playing games? Mm -hmm. Do you really want to be a sniper, uh, you know, or do you do you again like games? You could go to game design and Stark State has a great program and Mm -hmm. I think you might be okay for it. Or do we need to be talking about something that's more um, realistic? Okay. And so I do that and then there is also a nice program called Work Study and work study is for those individuals who are at risk and they may be struggling to graduate with it, it here at uh, Talmadge is 26 credits at Coggle Falls it's 21 I think uh, the other schools have different numbers mm-hmm. um, it for every 120 hours you work in the community I can give you a credit towards graduation and I negotiate I'm not negotiating I coordinate that with the guidance department okay uh, and so I do work-study both here and Cabo Falls. And this year it's been phenomenal. We have, I think, nine seniors that earned three extra credits hmm. for graduation. So instead of 26 credits, you know, they can actually, and I tell them, go into a place when you want to work and say, most people had 26 credits. I had 29. Yeah. How? I worked and maintained my grades, hmm. which is important because now you have a leg up. You know how to work, you know how to communicate, eye yeah. contact, yeah. employability. Those are the things I sort of stress, and um, so if that's not enough, I actually have a sidebar thing that's <laughs> starting in the fall, and that's with a, a professor, uh, Dr. Davis, at the University of Akron, hmm. and uh, it will be a um, uh, a program of transition services for students who, it's obvious, they are not going on to further education and they may struggle with employability and they may struggle with communication. So he has arranged, we've been working on this project two years, Okay. and we'll have 10 students uh, total, uh, a combination of Talmadge and Coggle Falls, it looks like so far. And uh, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday during Akron U semester, they will be paired with a special education graduate student and they'll be placed at one of four or five different locations on campus. Wow! And they'll understand what it is to work and we'll keep all that data and then report back and say, this is what you need to work on, this is what, you know. So it's trying to uh, it's trying to prepare someone for that transition from high school. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah, you're preparing and you're, you're mentoring. Correct. Uh, yeah, Correct. I mean, I just really like that where...
1: But that's actually, it's, it's, it's part of a side activity uh, our superintendent was very cooperative with me when I mentioned that I'm working with an agency, a philanthropic agency that wants to help support this, and it's gonna. All we have to do is, uh, they are actually providing seed money for a graduate student to oversee all the other graduate students. Okay. Wow. Which is like I will not have time to. No. But Dr. Daviso, who is the uh, director of special education, he'll be on site at all hmm. times, and every once in a while. Maybe I'll skip out and run down there and say, "Okay, today let's talk about communication."
0: <laughs> That's my hope. But That's we'll see. A, that is amazing. You know, it, it's really interesting. You mentioned a word uh, a few minutes ago, and it, it's one of the things that I've grown to admire. in you, in my new role, right? So, uh, and it's the word, you know, pragmatism. You're you're pretty pragmatic. Uh, I've sat in on some meetings where you've had conversations with students. You've had tough conversations. Correct. Yeah. And it's interesting as I listen, I think about what a privilege it is to have somebody sharing wisdom in a way that's easy to be it's easy to understand where you're not just saying no way don't pursue your dreams. You're not you've never deflated uh the balloon at all what you've done is you've said okay i see where you want to get but then let's just talk about the steps to get there because then they kind of discovered on their own
1: correct you know, no, and- you're absolutely right and i think you do a <clears throat> wonderful job as a, in your new position as assistant principal because it's exactly what you have to do mm-hmm. uh, if someone says i'm going to join the military okay let's tick t- t- down the elements of the military Have you looked at the ASVAB test? Mm -hmm. No. Oh, all right. You can can take that for free online. Let's take a look at it. Your minimum score, this doesn't mean anything right now, but your minimum score has to be a 31. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at what you have. You have a nine. Mm -hmm. That's a long way away from a 31. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that taking it again because it's a cumulative test is what we want to do. Yeah. Maybe let's think about why well, I want to be a pilot okay again let's let's look at what is entailed and tell me what is it really the pilot or is it the plane mm-hmm. and that's sort of what you're you're right. you sort of break it down and say, you know what, we could get you a job at the airport and you would be around planes, and you wouldn't have to get any right. kind of certification or degree or anything that you you might really really struggle with, mm-hmm. but you'd get to be. You know, and I, and I think what I try to hit at is none of us, like no one told you, no one told me, this is what you're going to do the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Here's the path. That's old school 1970s education. Here's your path. And in special ed, it was even worse. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're going to do. So if we can break that up a little bit and say, yeah, you might be in, service, uh, in a service-oriented field, but... Um, Let's let's make it more, let's be a little more honest. This is pretty entailed. Like, you know, if if girls want to be nurses, I get it. Um, But, you know, you get all your accommodations at Stark State. Mm -hmm. You get all your accommodations from your IEP at Fortis. And both of those locations offer nurses assistant training, which you can pass. Mm -hmm. I've looked at the curriculum and you can pass. And if you had a tutor, we could, you know, we could work our way through this. Mm. And so there are things to explore. I think CTE is a great program. Yeah. I think we have students that never thought they would earn the money they could in construction. We have two seniors this year, two young men. I mean, they're going to have a great path. Yeah. And and girls that uh, in cosmetology, they're going to have a great path. You
0: know? mm-hmm. so, wow. So. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me in my new role. Um, one of the epiphanies I've had is just how many people are working every single day to help our students see opportunities before them you know for 24 years I was kind of just in my own room and had a vague understanding of what you're doing or a vague understanding of CTE or what you know some of the other incredible people around here are doing but now that kind of in the trenches and you know we're having these conversations every day you know, what opportunity can we present to this student that's going to help them succeed and become the best version of themselves, you know, because it is a it's a competitive world. It changes daily. And um, and it's just just need to know that you're here advocating for our kids. I'm
1: just one of I mean, there's, this is, you know, I'm not saying this because you're sitting here, this building, this school, this high school and many other schools, just like it, the other schools in the sixth district you're absolutely right there are so many people that want the best for the student and what I try to stay say to students on a regular basis is two minutes after you graduate we go away like a phantom (laughs) We cannot give you services we cannot we're not there don't try to call me don't try to you know I don't do the Facebook thing with students but it's like once we're gone we're gone Uh so while we're here and all of this is free, and all of this is supported, and all of this is by people who really care, mm-hmm. use us, you know, yeah. use, the, use the opportunity. And the most frustrating thing, I think, of anyone, both yourself as a former educator, and other people who are educators, whether it be gen ed or special ed, is that soul that just isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, It's just like, they don't know, they don't know, and, and that's it. Yeah, And it's like that's the saddest reality that you are not going to reach everybody even if you, you continue to try and you hope for the best. But there are people, you know, recently in the community, I saw an individual that I had years ago, and I actually case managed him. And um, it, it unsettled my day. Hmm. I saw him at a, not that he was at a fast food place serving me coffee in the morning it's the fact that he just looked awful Mm -hmm. and and i'm sure he did not look happy and those things tend not to improve over time without intervention yeah and uh, that 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 flies back to the film it's like without supports and accommodations how are we going to make a difference right well i'm not expecting everyone to make a difference just the people who should be making a difference yeah if they had support and make their path clear. Mm-hmm. I used to say to my wife when during the seven years we were filming, what I'd like to say to a lot of people is, I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking your support. Could you please just step aside mm-hmm. so we can walk by? Wow. And, and there are a lot of people, I'm not being negative, I'm just being realistic. There are a lot of people that are like, no, no, I'm going to stand right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I'm not going to pound into you because that's like pounding into a wall. I'll just walk around you. Thanks, you know. Wow, and I think there's a lot of people that uh, find themselves in, in uh, supportive situations that can uh, understand that. Hmm.
0: That is a uh, that's just a really interesting way of looking at it. And um, we are really, uh, I, I we really are blessed that we do have you know we have you and we have a whole team of people like, that just want what's best for our kids, yeah, and I would it's agree. it's K through twelve. you know and that's one of the messages that just resonates so heavily with me after every interview you know it's that people just genuinely care and love the community and they love our kids and they are passionate and they you know and they're driven in the classroom and in the office as well as driven to serve others like you and your wife outside of the walls of Talmadge High School before uh, we wrap this up, it's been a quick hour. You know, we've been wow, we've been no going kidding. an hour. Yeah, it's been a really quick hour. <laughs> but Is maybe there? Maybe I
1: babble too much. I'm no, <laughs> no.
0: I I've uh we could go on even more here. Is there something that I haven't asked or a question I've not asked that maybe you would have hoped I'd asked? Uh,
1: no, I think you covered it very well. I I um, you never know everything that you want to know. Right. You know, I think that I, I gave. Props to my dad for being a, a role model, mm-hmm. um, and and people in in the community, um, and I've, you know, I used to say when when people would talk to me, it's it's like you know, well, who who do you learn from or get inspired from, and I just say, well, ask the teachers at school because, oftentimes they're a copy short of anything they were doing on that Xerox machine. That's because I went in and went, and I took this is gonna be good. I'm gonna, it's like, wait a that's, minute, I wanted fifty copies and I have forty nine, you know. And that's that's funny, generally yeah. me. I, I you know, I don't do it much now, but in the fall, I think I'll be uh, back in the classroom for a couple of situations. So yeah. I'll let you know, let you know how that, that goes. Yeah, I'm excited about that.
0: Yeah, so, I've caught wind of that. There's um Last thing, anything you want, anything you want anyone to know about you that we haven't covered.
1: Uh, not, not really. I know, I know. I I read that in your in your email you sent to me, and I thought, um, not really. I you mentioned somebody, you know, like a like a side hobby besides photography, and my I always envied coming into your room because in another life I should have been a history teacher. Because I'm addicted to mm-hmm. to World War II, and it sounds gruesome, but I'm not. I've flown three times on a B seventeen, hmm. a real B seventeen, really, yeah. And it's like amazing. Yeah, it's just those four massive engines, and standing next to a tire that's seven foot tall. Yeah, you know wow. I mean? And and just the thought of what the world went through, and the sacrifices of that greatest generation, and and how it shaped everything, and knowledge of talking to people that the generations that are fading away that when they were in high school they worked uh at Goodyear fires I mean Mm -hmm. they were still in high school and they had work release to go work for the war machine making blimps or planes right you know it's just how how that tied everyone together and how wouldn't it be great if we could all tie together uh, again under separate issues you know mm-hmm. we seem to be polarized a lot no i don't think that's anybody's fault i just think um that's just the way things are right now unfortunately so.
0: yeah yeah that's a topic for another podcast isn't it it is that uh, that one it that is. right there we could talk about oh, that for another hour right. and then just go all through history and just you know and, and deep dive on it i think, I think
1: it. you're right yeah you because know, we're living in a in a very dysfunctional time and, depending on how you are on the spiritual side of things well it's supposed to be this way yeah unfortunately so I' want, I don't want to go there but that's what
0: you know, and that would be another episode <laughs> <laughs> so you know you mentioned that you know you should have you or and could have been been a history teacher you are a history teacher that's one of the things I love so much about when you would share and just even sitting here as you kind of dive deeper into some of the the history I mean, when you talk about it, I mean, you know what you're talking about. I mean, I always just learn. I learn from you every time. Every time you well, share, I appreciate it. I, there's so. a
1: lot I don't know, and there's a couple of things I do know. So, uh, I appreciate the fact that that every once in a while I can talk about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. Well, Mr. Stuback, I I appreciate you sitting down. Uh, I know that you had to come back to school to sit down for this interview, and That's I uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed digging deeper into your story I you know the one thing that just resonates with me about you and it's it's something for all of us to keep in mind is that first of all our stories go different directions all throughout our life right you 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 head out of high school and you have one one dream and you think that's where you're going to end up at and you blink and 40 years later you're as far away from that dream as you could possibly imagine, right? Correct. And in between that, your your life takes you on so many different adventures. Uh, but the the other aspect of it is it's the theme of the podcast, right? Everybody has a story, and the story is worth being told. And um, I thank you for sharing your story with me.
1: I, I just thank you for the uh, the opportunity. It's a little nervous and a little but embarrassed to say who am i to be talking you know i have no wisdom you know <laughs> the, the person who has wisdom realizes they don't have wisdom you know yeah. um but i, I think uh, I, I was always grateful to you and you always uh, you share the concern with the class whether it be the psych class or the social studies class and um it's just it's just i thank you for that mm-hmm. you know it sort of extends your time that was a long time ago something I did in the past that you sort of dusted off a little bit mm. and, You know, so I appreciate that and, and thank you for this opportunity.
0: You are very welcome and listener I just want to thank you for uh, tuning in. Do me a favor please make sure that you share this episode out and while you're at it if you liked what you heard go back and check out some more amazing interviews in, in the catalog and if you're really excited about the podcast please be sure to rate it and uh, share it out. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And also feel free to follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. MrHornerTheTeacher or on Twitter at THS Mr. underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time, go Blue Devils.